Hi, I'm Adrienne. I help people tell the stories they were told not to talk about. Maybe by their own inner critic. Maybe by the world. Either way, I'm here to serve as a kind of story midwife, birthing these beautiful naked narratives and helping them thrive. Telling our own stories and speaking our own truth should be the easiest thing in the world, but it's not. We all get blocked. We all feel censored, stymied, or silenced at times. We struggle to find the right entry point, to articulate the message we want to convey, and to identify the ideal audience to receive it. And that, my friends, is where I come in. I'm a professional brand voice consultant and story coach. I help entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, storytellers, and anyone else who is ready to start living out loud to deliver their authentic voice directly to those who most need to hear it. Are you ready to get authentic? Good, because that's allowed. Welcome to the That's Allowed podcast. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Adrienne McKeon. And this week's guest is Shara Sandusky, a brave, badass bitch goddess who was recently diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. In this episode, you will learn how to pull yourself out of an emotional spiral, what true self-care really looks like, and how to instantly transform negative self-talk into radical self-acceptance. I hope you enjoy listening to this as much as we enjoyed recording it. Cheers, and stay loyal to your joy. Hi, everyone. I am here with Ms. Shara Sandusky. Shara is a legal professional, mother, writer, and a survivor of childhood trauma, which she now processes using dialectical behavioral therapy and occasionally rage baking. Welcome, Shara. Hi, uh, Adrienne, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, hi. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for joining me. So, Shara... Is there anything else that you want the audience just to know about who you are before we start in talking about your story? So I am 38 years old this year, hey. and I was diagnosed uh, in the last 12 months with borderline personality disorder. Okay. So and that's going to be a cornerstone to today. Absolutely. Absolutely. How has that diagnosis affected you? You know, I always used to hear people who were chronically ill say after they had gotten a diagnosis that at least I know. Yeah. Right. Even when the diagnosis is bad, uh, even if it's terminal, one of the things that, that they count among the slim silver linings is, well, at least I know what I'm fighting. Right. Yeah. One of the reasons I wanted to do this, um, is because there's a lot of conversation about mental wellness and mental health. There's been a lot of awakening, I think, over the last decade about how very real the need to take care of your mind with the same intensity and focus as one takes care of their body. Absolutely. That, that's real. Yeah. Um, and I think... Every time I, I wonder whether or not the times that we are going through as a society are really stressful, I think, yeah, but, but humans have gone through stressful times before. The Bay of Pigs was a thing, the Cold War was a thing, World Wars One and Two. Um, so it's not necessarily that humans are under more stress or pressure, arguably, I don't think. I think we are just becoming more aware of what it does to us. Yeah. And with that awareness comes a certain amount of, of responsibility, really. I did survive a lot of childhood trauma. My mom 
who I actually um, have a pretty good relationship with now when I was young, had a methamphetamine addiction mm. for a good portion of my childhood. And she did not have great taste in men. So <laughs> there was a lot I of... I hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So all of those things, plus a few others that, I mean, really, childhood trauma encompasses a lot of things. And without wasting too much of our valuable time on the details, it was there. Got it. That led to maladaptive personality changes to try and just cope, sure. you know, to survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those things aren't useful to you anymore when you become a grown up and you have to carry on with healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. So my whole life, I have felt like something was wrong. Yeah. But I couldn't figure out what. Mm-hmm. And I was in and out of therapy and I was on and off medications and none of it stuck because none of it rang true. I was not quite bipolar. I was not, I was just above the ADHD line. I was sort of clinically depressed. It was all very, it all felt very wishy-washy. Mm-hmm. And it was hard to kind of believe in any of it because every new therapist I saw had a new diagnosis. And so we would try something for a little while and then it wouldn't work. And it, I would just feel frustrated and, and really broken. Yeah. Again. And then every relationship around me started to fall apart in the last 18 months, like really fall apart. My relationship with my husband of 10 years just disintegrated. My relationship with my best friend imploded. Um, We had this group of people, five women, we call the Yaya's, right? After that great- Like the Yaya sisterhood. Yeah. Yeah, like the Yaya sisterhood. I would have these huge emotional outbursts where I would push them all away or I would say hurtful things and I would, I really started to take a pickaxe and attempt to destroy all of those relationships and I couldn't figure out why. And I have a child, I have a 10 year old son, so it's not Mm -hmm. like it's in anyone's best interest. It's certainly not mine, but again, when you're a mom, these things impact the people around you so much bigger, I think. It all came to a head probably about nine months to a year ago, Mm -hmm. and um, I couldn't function, and I just started a brand new job. I had gone back to work. I I really love what I do, Mm -hmm. Um, and I was super excited about it, but I was numb, and I couldn't see any way out, and I was like, I got to do something, so I tried therapy again. And I found um, a woman who introduced me to the idea of borderline personality disorder, which if you've ever read up on, is quite terrifying. (laughs) Um, Think of every bad relationship you've ever had. People with borderline personality disorder are terrified of abandonment. So they will Mm -hmm. do things like push people away. Right. Say hurtful things, pick fights. But then they'll try and pull you back in because they don't really want you to go. They actually want to make sure that no matter what they do, you're still going to You're going to stay. That's right. It's a test. It is a test, but it's a constant test, one right after another. And And it's an unfair test. It's entirely unfair. Yeah. And it's a lot of really toxic behaviors Mm -hmm. kind of Mm -hmm. compiled into one really vicious disorder because what happens is the behaviors are enough for any healthy person to look at you and go, look, if you're not on medication or therapy, mm-hmm. you should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and until you are, I'm going to go ahead and exit stage left. People don't feel safe around you. 
Right. Because you're emotionally erratic Mm -hmm. and you see things in very black and white terms. So people are either with you or against you. So the sad thing I think about people who suffer from borderline personality disorder is that they want very much to be loved and accepted. Doesn't everyone? Yeah. Well, that's absolutely true. Yeah, I, I, I really, I think I really have to believe, and I, you know, I come back to this a lot. I have to believe that everyone is just doing the best they can to have a good life and connect with people in their broken way, <laughs> and that everyone is just trying with their messed up set of tools to do the same thing, which is to have a happy life. And I think that's true. Yeah, it, it really helps me to have compassion when I think in those terms that this person is just using a tool set that is not working for me. It's not that they're a bad person. It's not that they're a toxic person. It really bothers me when people talk about people as toxic. No humans are toxic. There are very toxic behaviors that people pick up, and there are abusive behaviors that people employ. But again, I think everyone is just trying to do their best, as messed up as that sometimes is. I think that that's fair and true and correct. It's one of the things that you learn once I got into therapy, once I really kind of looked around, I was like, I, I can't continue to function like this. Yeah. I need to get some help. Um, yeah. I found someone who practiced dialectical behavioral therapy, which is a mm-hmm. subset of cognitive behavioral therapy. Right. It's really about rewiring the way that you think. Yeah. And, um, and so, and I, I was lucky enough to find a very no-nonsense therapist. Mm-hmm. Like I, one of my very favorite kind of um, anecdotes of the early part of our therapy was that she said to me, I had lost my work badge or, or thought that I lost my work badge over the weekend. And I'm in law, I deal with really sensitive information. So I sure. panic. I spent two days deep in an anxiety well over this. Yeah. I walked in Monday morning. And I realized that my badge was on my desk and I was elated. I was on the top of the world. And I had taken my therapist with me through this emotional journey. Like every time I was worried over the weekend, I would text her. And so when it was all over, she was like, okay, so let's talk about the fact that I have a string of text messages from you where you are freaking out, certain that you're going to get fired, calling yourself horrible names, saying Mm -hmm. horrible things about your ability to function as an adult. And then you come into work Monday morning and all of a sudden, what, do you send me dancing lady emojis because you're that happy? We need to get you some balance. Yeah. Like that was, and that is a lot of what dialectical behavioral therapy is and brings. We call it being in wise mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so borderline personality disorder does this thing where your emotions will just take you over. Mm-hmm you like a tsunami and you don't really stop to rationalize what's behind those emotions well you can't i mean i i I know from personal experience when you are really in that emotion storm when you are in it you hear it's like you're standing outside of yourself watching yourself do this crazy shit say these mean things throw shit whatever it is that you're you know the, the little tantrum that you're throwing but you can't seem to stop yourself until the emotion blows over. That's so true. Because I've had moments in the middle of those, I call them spirals, 
Mm-hmm. I've the had spirals, moments yeah. in the middle of those spirals where I, I've been like, you're going to regret this. Yeah. You know that you need to turn this around. You know exactly what you need to say in order to stop. Yep. Yep. Or to make someone forgive you for what you've already done. And I can't. And you can't do it. And so that, I mean, I think the most important tricks and tools to learn is how to, in that moment, be able to just step out of the situation, get yourself out of there however you can. Go for a walk, look out the window, take a deep breath, whatever it takes. Just tear yourself away and force yourself to be in present time, look around you. I have a little thing that I do where I, I go for a walk and I narrate my walk. I say, and then she stepped over a crack and she saw the green tree and she, and it's like, I'm talking about myself as a character and it brings me to present reality where I'm looking around. I'm not in that emotional storm anymore. I'm just taking a walk and I'm observing the world around me and myself. And it kind of gives you a little bit of a fourth wall too. Like by narrating your own story, you're able to kind of take an objective observation of what you're saying and thinking and doing. And sometimes that is enough to jog our emotional. You'll say something and you'll be like, wait a second. That was really ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, how far have you let this go? Yeah. Um, I do. I have this really great trick given to me by a dear, dear old friend who suffers from anxiety. It's five, four, three, two, one. Mm-hmm. Really take stock of, of what's going five. I think it's, and I interchange them all the time, but it's like sure. you use all of your senses, five things you can see, four things you can hear, three things mm-hmm. you can touch, two things you can smell, one thing, you know, that, and it yeah. brings you to back to uh, it's observing and that's yeah. very much um a property of, of dbt is this observing mode it brings you right. back to a grounded space yeah the other the other thing we talk about too is and this was mind-blowing for me it sounds so simple but it really was very powerful when i got the full extent of what it was but i remember in my therapist amy telling me one time thoughts are not real feelings are, they're valid, mm-hmm. but they're not real. Right. If you feel like your partner doesn't love you, that's not objectively true. Right. All a feeling is, is a thought. And mm-hmm. thoughts are wrong all the time. Yeah. Don't believe everything and, you think. Right. So when we, when she really kind of was able to get that hammered home into my head, mm-hmm. I started visualizing my thoughts differently and they, they have different ways that you can do this I personally view the inside of my head as this gorgeous Venetian ballroom just mm-hmm. guilt feelings and beautiful parquet floors and all of my thoughts are these beautifully brightly clothed couples waltzing by mm. and the nice the, the thing that DDT really talks about is the fact that if you are in the middle of a spiral if you're in the middle of a storm and you need to get back to a space where you feel like you're better you need to be able to look at everything going on in your head and just let it go. Yeah. You can't stick on any one thought because that one thought's going to shoot you down to the bottom of the spiral. Absolutely. So just without judgment, mm-hmm. without rancor or malice or trying to fix anything, let them go. Acknowledge them because sometimes right. it won't leave until yes. you acknowledge them. Exactly. What you resist persists. It's like, don't think about an elephant. What are you going to do? Immediately think about an elephant. Right. 
in my psychology class, the number seven on the board. Don't think about this number for the next three days. Right. The number was all I thought about. Everywhere. <laughs> Everywhere you go. Yeah. That's right. And that is how our brains work. We don't right. accept negatives. Negatives are not real to our mind. We only think in positives. And so even if you say, don't do this, all your brain hears is do this. Right. That's it. And so you have to focus on what you want, not on what you don't want. And that can be, I can feel so impossible in those moments. Yeah. And so that's why, like you said, you can't fix anything from that space. You have to get out of the, the idea that like, this is a time or a place to, to fix anything, especially when you're in a relationship and it's an argument that you're having, or you're trying to fix a problem between you. When you're in that emotional space, nothing is getting fixed. Oh, and so often it gets so much worse. So much worse. And I had, I've, I've had partners who insisted that, no, 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 we're going to talk this out until you, no, bad news, bad idea. You really need to let people know in your life, when I'm in this state, nothing is going to get fixed. So until we get me out of this state, we cannot move forward. Nothing good is going to Right. And what's really hard is that in my personal experience, I am both the partner that pushes for an immediate resolution Mm. and the partner who desperately needs to step away. Right. So, so often, and, and here's the thing, as previously stated by you, we're all doing the best that we can to relate (laughs) what crazy tools we have. My Mm ex-husband, I believe is a good man. Mm -hmm. I did not get the help that I needed in time. And my disorder really kind of killed big parts of our marriage. Yeah. Because how do you handle something like that? Especially if the person that is being ravaged by the storms inside their own head, he isn't really frightened to fix the weather. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was too scared Mm -hmm. of what would happen. I was too afraid of, I was too afraid of, um, really kind of what I was going to find. Yeah. I really started digging in. And so I put it off. I put it off for ages and ages and ages. And I remember every adult in my life saying when I was a child, you're going to need therapy. You're going to need therapy your whole life. And I was like, whatever. I can do without it. And I could for <laughs> short periods of time. Um, How'd that go for you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm 38 and now I've just had this revelatory year. So hmm. the thing is when you have when you're, a, I don't want to say when you're a mom, for me, mm-hmm. the thing that did it was yeah. being a mom. Yep. And, and here's the deal. Like, it's different for everybody. Maybe it's a partner. Maybe you find a dog you super like, and you just want to yeah. stay around for the dog. But, but everybody, hopefully, yeah. will have that thing that makes them less afraid than they are determined. Still wow. afraid, still terrified but less afraid than you are determined. That is so true and so beautiful. You know, I'm just realizing now, as you're saying that, that that, it was my daughter that that had the same effect on me, that I realized I can't keep having these fights with her father. I can't keep throwing these tantrums in front of her. That is not the example that I want to set for her. I need new tools. That was pretty much verbatim the conversation inside my own head too when I realized once again I was in a space where you know my ex-husband and I weren't communicating clearly I wasn't happy I cried all the time yeah um and and here's the thing now that we 
are apart and we're, we're moving on and going our separate ways. We both now have new loves in our lives mm-hmm. that are, I think, a lot more suited for where we are as people and what we've been through. And that's, that's the thing. So many people see the ending of one relationship as a need to demonize someone else. If someone isn't with you anymore, it's not that you're not enough or that they found someone better. There is real truth to the idea that people are like jigsaw puzzle pieces. <laughs> like it doesn't, it's, it's not well, a big and also, deal. You change. Your shape yes. changes. It's and very true. Uh, uh, what started as a perfect fit, it turns out, you know, your, your insecurities fit perfectly or, you know, you were looking for something in yourself that has been taken from you or that you just never connected to and you found it in that other person and then eventually you find it in yourself and so it's time to move on. And that's totally and natural. There's nothing, so there's true. no failure in that. Every relationship right. has its meaning and has its purpose while it lasts. And you don't have to force something to survive past its expiration date. No, and I think there's, I think that's such a revelatory thought. And I love it so, so much. Like it's something I've come to um, in, in the end of my marriage here, but ha- having it voiced that well, I think is, is really, it's helpful. I'm a person like you who tells stories and deals in words. Sometimes you can't always shape something in a way that, sounds good to your ear and sticks on your soul that I've yeah I've been meaning to find a way to say that for a while it's true and we've talked about the good things that came out of us my son is someone I'm very proud of like if we had no other reason to Mm -hmm. be together except for that like that's enough absolutely Um, but the thing with really going to therapy and I think I wrote this like when in the kind of the shape up for the episode Mm -hmm. I'm so annoyed by this cutesy idea of self-care. Like okay. the, oh, let's take a day off and binge watch Netflix. Look, there are days when, okay, whatever, that's real. Like, But I've had more days where Netflix is just on in the background for some kind of noise, and I've cried for that. Yeah. Like, and so self-care on those days becomes getting up and taking a shower. Absolutely. It becomes making sure that you eat food that is not crackers and cookies and a can of soda. Yeah. Like sometimes self-care looks like getting some fucking exercise. Sometimes self-care looks like making a business plan. Sometimes self-care looks like going to bed at a reasonable hour and then getting your ass up out of bed in the morning and getting shit done. Self-care is not always coddling yourself. No. You know, when you deal, it's like when you deal with your kids, when you deal with your friends, the people that you really care about, would you advise them like, hey, stay home all day and drink soda if that makes you happy, it makes you feel better? No. 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 Of course not. Because we know that in the long term, that's not self-care. Right. That is is very short-sighted self-care. And here's the thing. Once I got into therapy, and it was really like within two or three sessions and I do my therapy on my phone actually mm-hmm. so I have access to my therapist whenever I need her That's um great. yeah it's super nice I really do love it it doesn't work for everybody some people need that face-to-face interaction but uh-huh. I'm okay with it so but within like two or three sessions I also realized sometimes self-care is womaning up and taking a look at the battlefield behind you and yeah. the damage that you have done yeah and accepting, 
both that it's there mm-hmm. and that you have a lot of work to do to make sure it's never like that again. I had this really oh big revelation um, a few years ago, about 10 years ago now, I'd say, where I, I wrote down every shitty thing that I had ever done to another person, including myself. I went through and I just looked at all the harm that I had caused and just, I, I didn't plan to necessarily fix it. I just needed to see it and to confront right. it. Right, right. And when I got to the end, I thought I'd be all like, you know, overwhelmed and apathetic and crying. And instead, I felt surprisingly strong because I looked at all of that and I said, and yet I still have people who love me. And yet, if I could do all of this bad stuff, think about all the good shit that I am capable of doing. Look how powerful you are. You caused all of this. Now, what do you want to cause in the future? Right. And that is empowering. It yeah. took me a little bit longer. Like when I, when I sat down and I think it's because I went into therapy and I started taking stock so soon after a point in my life where I had done so much damage. Yeah. So for me, like those wounds were super fresh and mm-hmm. I spent a mm-hmm. ton of time crying and, and guilt ridden. and Right. The shame and the yeah. guilt and yes. By the way, like, if you've never read Brene Brown, Oof. she does some amazing work on shame and shame therapy and love and acceptance. And her work, Braving the Wilderness specifically, Absolutely. really got me through. Yeah, amazing author, amazing self-help person. And she, I think it's her, it's either her or Elizabeth Gilbert. She's got this great quote where she says, like, middle age is where life grabs you by the shoulders and whispers, I am not fucking around anymore. Yeah. Find your place. Find the thing that makes you come alive and sparkle and impact the world and go fucking get it done. Absolutely. You don't have much time left. Yeah. Stop fucking around trying to please a bunch of people who are never going to be happy with you. Right. Let them go make themselves happy. Go figure out who the fuck you are and what makes you happy and then stay fucking loyal to your joy no matter what. Right. And so much of that for me when all of this started really came from figuring out what my life really was. Like what, what did make me sparkle? What did bring me joy? Where did I find my greatest happiness? And, and then getting goals that genuinely reflected making sure that those things were in my life every single day. So like for me, freedom was a big deal. Yeah. Freedom is huge. Like my own financial freedom, my own emotional health freedom. And here's the deal. I know now that, that therapy is like my medicine. Yeah. So like a, a diabetic needs to be on insulin for a, of the rest of their life, even if they eat well. Yeah. Like their level of insulin will go up or down, but the insulin is always there. I may only talk to Amy once a month, mm-hmm. but I will still talk to her. Yeah. Like, and that's okay. There are days that I talk to her every other day. And I'm on my phone going, okay, you need the insulin. Please just and she's great. She's always back to me within 24 hours. But the point is it, it ebbs and flows, but it I don't take medication. Yeah. I don't like the way that medication makes me feel. Mm-hmm. So this is my medicine. Yeah. Um and and accepting that was a big deal for me. Yeah. And so getting goals and, and recognizing how I need to keep myself healthy and take care of myself, mm-hmm. that's my freedom. Yeah. I wanted freedom. I wanted healthier relationships. 
that were strong that I felt like I was contributing to in a good, healthy manner. Yeah. I wanted to lift the people around me up. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be more socially aware and to do more and be more of a voice in social awareness campaigns and to talk about things that I think are important. So a lot of my last month, especially, has been in setting goals and making goals and having a clear idea of where I want to be. And that has been so empowering because I think for the first month after I, you know, really kind of realized the scope of what this disorder was and how it had affected me, how it will continue to affect me, nothing feels possible. And that's really kind of sucky because I still have a kid. Like my boyfriend is amazing. He brings me flowers every Monday. He loves and supports me. Like to look at all of those gifts that you've been given and just go, yeah, none of that crap matters now because I have this stupid junkie disease. Like that's, that's so silly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we know gratitude is magic, right? We know that. Oh my gosh. Such big magic. Big magic. And so the more you can focus on what you do have and want more of is what creates more of that. I, you know, I, I've, I've stopped kind of setting goals for myself in the sense of like, I want to get a car or, you know, like stuff. Right. I, I don't set stuff goals anymore. I set emotional goals. There's a great book by uh, Danielle Laporte called The Desire Ooh. Map. The, the Desire Map. That's right. Uh, goals with Souls, like the tagline. And what it's all about is getting your core desired feelings finding out what you want to feel more of and what will bring that into your life. And then that doing those is intriguing. And it really, really helps me to think of it in that way because, yeah. you know, I don't know what's going to make me happy. Like I think right. this might, but I don't know. And so instead, well, what does happiness feel like? What are the actual right. emotions that make me think, oh, I'm happy. This is good. Right. right. And it's not always what you think, is it? No. Like, no. Yeah. Like people, like people say happiness and they think like the pleasure principle immediately comes into to play. Mm -hmm. And, um, but when you start to think about, is that really what you're looking for? I mean, right. or I are mean, you looking to joy is wonderful. And make a big change? Yeah. Yes. Joy is wonderful. Bliss is wonderful. But what about satisfaction? What about peace? What about balance? Yes. You know, yeah. all of those things you, you, and it's so specific to who you are right now. And it changes and over time. So and that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been an, an interesting journey of acceptance because here's the deal. Yeah. You can't, you can, I, I compare it to diabetes a lot because yeah. it feels, it's, diabetes is one of those things that most of the time, like people would look at you and never know that anything was wrong. Right. right? Like, but you know, and so mm -hmm. you have to take care of your eating and you have to do all of these things and you, you personally are responsible for behaviors mm -hmm. that maintain your health and if you are not doing those things then you are going to adversely impact the lives around you Absolutely. this is the same thing to me yeah so I'm responsible for these things that make me mentally healthy and I have to do them every day yeah. and if I don't the people around me are inevitably going to suffer because I will suffer I will yeah. be sick yeah, you have to so, make that commitment to yourself. Yeah, and it really is one because here's the thing. Again, therapy's not cute. It's not fun. It's not funny. I can't tell you how often I have said, I hate Amy, only to say like two days later, God damn it. Like, and, and be like, of okay, course. well, you know, 
because there are things that happen inside your head you're not you're not necessarily ready to talk about or to yeah. deal with but that choice isn't always yours yeah like it's there and and just like diabetes again if you ignore it it's going to make you really really sick and so yeah. you have to accept that you have it because that's it like yeah. that's, that's it you do all the evidence is there and so if you don't you're never going to be able to take the steps that you need to get right. better i have never been good at self-accepting i am i can't wait to give friends links to this podcast because I'm excited to hear what they think. Awesome. Um, and all of them will tell you, I say horrible things like all the time. Yeah. Um, my level of self-acceptance is just stupid. Excuse me, is just crazy low, crazy low. But you have to accept it. And then you have to accept the self-care that comes with making it better. Yeah. Like, because there's a lot of that. Like you have to dig deep inside yourself. You have to make sure that you're taking care of your emotions and your body and all of those things. And that can make you a little self-centered person. Yeah. And that, yeah. There's a, something I, again, I've been, this has become a big theme in my life in the last couple of years, but especially in the last year is recognizing that, you know, that fine line between acceptance and doing something about it. When do we you know, it's like the serenity prayer. When do we accept the things that we cannot change as things that we cannot change? And, and, and how do we have the wisdom to know that difference, to change the things that we can? And what I've realized is that if I push gently against something and what I get back is fear, maybe a little bit of excitement, but mostly fear, I need to keep pushing. That is a place that I need to go. Hmm. And if I push against something and all I get back is grief, and all I get back is pain, then that is something to just let alone. Let it heal, right. leave it be. It's not the time to push right now. And when I really respect my own ability to change and recognize where I'm ready to change and where I'm not, right. and in a relationship, when you look at the relationship and you go, okay, am I willing to accept it as it is right now? Can I love this person exactly as they are? And where they are in yourself too. Can I love right. me exactly where I am, exactly where I'm at or not? And if not, something needs to change. Right. And I know for me personally, sometimes the thing that needs to change are my expectations of myself. Right. Absolutely Again, you get right. back to that self-acceptance. I am one of those people who has a very clear vision of who she wants to be. Mm. And, and the way that I want to deal with my friends, I'm, I'm, for example, terrible flake, terrible flake. I really wish it were different. I'm working so hard on it, but this is the reality of what is. I hate that about myself. I have to accept that about myself. Well, again, like you can't. what we resist persists. So the more you think of yourself as like, oh, I'm this flake and I have to fix that, the more that's going to happen. Instead, if you can just recognize that your friends still accept you, your friends still like you, even though you flake out sometimes. And just radically embrace that, like that radical self-acceptance of just going, okay, I'm flaky right now. That's just where I'm at right now. And Amy the people says, who are in whenever, it are still in it. Right. Amy says, whenever I have a bad thought about myself, I should add, and I love that to yes. the end of it. Like yes. I'm such a clutch. So I'll, I'll trip over the subway or the escalator in the, the metro or whatever and I'll be like, God, I'm such a clutch. And then I hear Amy's voice going, and I love that. And I love that. 
because it is funny. I can't tell you yeah. how many times, how many stories we have of me falling across entire hotel rooms trying to catch myself. That's fantastic. And we all, right. It, it comes with its perks. You yeah. have to, you do have to be kinder to yeah. yourself. Healing is not linear. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of emotional energy. And if you're busy beating the crap out of yourself, how are you going to heal? You're yeah. just giving yourself new bruises. Like yeah. that's, it's counterproductive. Yeah. And the cycle's got to stop somewhere, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we've covered oh, a lot yeah. of ground and that's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and the funny thing is I haven't gotten to any of my usual questions. And I love that. I love <laughs> that this, this has just been such a completely organic conversation. Yeah, oh, it's been so much fun. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. But I do want to ask you, so is there a specific story that you came to tell? Not one specific anecdote. And, and that's anecdote, okay. Excuse me. That's okay. Yeah. You don't have to have it because this it definitely is a story. Right. It definitely is a story. Just the story of your recognition of needing recovery and the story of your recovery is beautiful. I, yeah, I think for me, that was really kind of what it was. And it was a scary story to tell because it's not like I've been really super open with like, I'm, I'm at work right now yeah. in an extra office. Like it was the only place I could find to do this. For yeah. all I know, my HR person is on the other side of this wall, having heard this entire podcast and is now like, wow, do we need to look at <laughs> How Shara's credentials? Right. But again, it's a part of me. Not everyone deserves your shame story. That's really key. Very key. But you should not be afraid to stand in your own truth either. Exactly. And I think really knowing the difference between the two is the beginning of some healing wisdom. Absolutely. Yeah. I always say the difference between a therapy session and a story is that a story is something you have enough distance on to be able to tell it as it has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end. Yes. It doesn't have an end yet. Super smart. That's not a story yet. That's just therapy. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's really true. Yeah, you have to know what the moral of this story is, what you learned from it, how it changed you, and the lesson that you can impart now, because you went through that. Right. And I I think really, for me, my biggest lesson has been be radically brave. Yeah. In the pursuit of your best mental health. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, radically brave. Like, You look at everything you've done, you take all of your stocks, you take all of your whatever it is, but you also be radically brave in the way that you allow yourself to heal. Yeah. The kindness and the empathy and the compassion with which you treat yourself on that journey is also a form of radical bravery and it is crucial. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people, I don't get one side or the other. They either think it's all drudge and terrible and tears, or they think it's all coddling. It is a mixture of both, and you have to face both of them with equal courage. Absolutely. I mean, if you want to change, if you want to transform your body, you're going to need exercise and you're going to need rest. You need both. If you overtrain, then you're going to get injured a bunch and you're not going to build that muscle because you won't give yourself the chance to rest. If you just rest, nothing's going to change. (laughs) I have definitely tried that second one and can attest to its virtue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's very true. Don't get me wrong, but you need (laughs) both. You need balance. You need action and you need inaction. You need the yin and the yang. 
Yep, absolutely. But I think I think that's maybe the most important lesson, that yeah. radical, radical courage and bravery when it comes to facing your mental health yeah. and your be- what you want your best mental health to look like and that journey to get there. Because it's hard. It's it really hard. hard. And but so many people who think that they're being helpful will actually stand in your way without realizing it. Yeah, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> I mean, people that, who try I mean, to keep really you is. in it because that's more comfortable for them because that's right. what they know and that's how they know how to interact with you and and they're in their own stuff and yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It can be For really sure. challenging to know who to who to spend your time around. When you're around someone and they make you more of the person that you want to be, man, connect with that person as much as you right. fucking can. It's a key indicator for sure. And I've also found that people who are fiercely protective of your mental health on the days when you can't be like, I, I'm really lucky enough to work with a fantastic group of women who are, are younger than me by quite a bit, more than a decade, I think almost all of them. And they are, wow, they are fiercely protective of the things that I say to me and my mental health and, and, and also my actual health because I do have a Coke addiction. And so they're constantly trying to get me to drink water. But it's, oh, it really, I thought you meant cocaine. I was like, wow, that's a whole other podcast, isn't it? <laughs> it totally would be, but no, Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Um, <laughs> also very highly addictive. Don't get me wrong. It's definitely. Yes. So uh, yeah, it's, it really is about, because here's the deal, especially when you're in the beginning of your healing journey, you don't always know what a healthy you feels like yeah, or, yeah. or what a you that's making wise decisions feels like. And so surrounding yourself with people who do, mm-hmm. like who have that objective step back to be like, hi, this is your seventh bottle of Coke. Right. Have some water and actual food. Like there are people out there yeah. who will take care of you like that while you're healing. Yeah. And I'm lucky enough to have several of them. So the burden is not on any one person. Right. But it's that willingness to accept the help. It's the willingness to reach out and say, yes, "Yes, I appreciate your help. Please keep it coming. And and here's the thing. If for those people out there who feel like they don't even have that option, like they've alienated someone else, there are people like you out there. I am a people like you, which means that there's a community that you can draw upon. Yeah. If you, if someone, I didn't even know, like DM'd me and said, this is what I felt and this is what I did and this is how I feel now. I would take the time to have that conversation. I know dozens of people who would take the time to have that conversation because when you know what it feels like to be alone, you don't ever, ever want anyone else to feel that. Yeah. So you make yourself available. This is and a there perfect. Are out there all over. This is a perfect segue. How would you like people to reach you if they want to reach out, if they want to talk about this, if they want to contact you, what's the best way to do that? Wow. I didn't even expect that, honestly. <laughs> um, so I, I think my email is probably the best way to do so or a Facebook message. And I can, can send you links to both of those so that you Great. can post them with the podcast. I will do that. Um, yeah, but definitely like that's, we are all each other's keepers, right? Yes. And that doesn't mean I'm your therapist. It doesn't mean I'm your punching bag. What that does mean is when you come to me and you say, I'm scared and I'm alone, I can take you by the hand and take five minutes to have that conversation with you and go, just thoughts and not all thoughts are real and you're not alone because look, we're talking. I'm a person. Yeah. yeah. 
and I will be here with you until we can get you to a point where you can get help or you feel better right. or whatever it is, but nobody is ever alone. Yeah. And also, you know, take stock of your body. Are you in physical danger right now? Look around the room. What do you actually see? Are you being so attacked? important? Yeah. Just yeah. coming back into that present time and going, oh, that's my dresser. This is my teddy bear. This that is, was a, yeah. These are not threatening objects. That was a huge thing for me. That Amy, yeah. again, another one of those things, like Amy saying thoughts are just feelings. Amy saying, you need to recontextualize what the word afraid means because Absolutely. you use it inappropriately all the time. Yeah. Are you in danger? Is someone that you love in danger? Do you have no time to stop it? Is somebody like, these are real things that cause actual fear where it's a valid response. Right. And learning the difference between those takes some power. Absolutely. Out of the things that, that tend to terrify you and make you freeze. Yeah. For sure. Thank you so much. Oh, this thank has been you. absolutely wonderful. I, I've had a great time. Thank you so much. And honestly, there was a lot. This was very therapeutic for me, quite frankly. Good. Good. Uh, but also just just knowing that maybe there's somebody else out there who's like, holy crap, I can't, I don't even know where to start. You start with being radically brave. And then maybe the next step is realizing that even though it's a part of you, it's not the only part of you. Yeah. Like it's probably not even the most important part of you. Mm-hmm. Unless <laughs> really? you let it be. Unless you let it be. Because that's, it's, I, yeah. it's your story and you get it to narrate is. it and you yeah. get to decide what is important. So exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for this, Audrey. And it was wonderful. It's my pleasure. Okay. Thanks. Have, Have a great, great day. day. Bye. Bye.